All right, here we go. Uh, this is Bivon, and I'm Leonard, and I'm joined here with Derek Galanosa. Uh, Derek, you have a, a long resume that we're going to get to uh, in a little bit. How are you doing today? Doing all right. I'm excited and tired and anxious and eager and a lot of emotions leading up to this opening weekend. Yeah, so Gold Brewing is your latest venture, and you have uh, an opening this Saturday, uh, July 22nd. Uh, in San Diego. Is that correct? Yep, that's correct. Uh, this Saturday at noon, July 22nd, we're ready to uh, open our doors to the public. That's awesome. I mean, everyone's excited about your your new venture, uh, relocating from Northern California because you were the one of the brewers at Moxa. Uh, for how long were you there? Uh, yeah, I moved up there 2017 uh, as the uh, opening head brewer for Moxa. So um, left that a few months ago to start Gold. So yeah, I was head brewer and ran the membership, did all the marketing, um, outside sales. So I wore a lot of hats over in, uh, over at Moxa. Here it's a little bit more focused, but I am the only brewer here and uh, I will be doing outside sales as well, but not a lot of the marketing. Okay. And so you're originally from the San Diego area, is that correct? Yeah. 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 I grew up in Chula Vista, uh, South San Diego and, um, lived all the way up there until uh, up until I moved up to Northern California five and a half years ago. Yeah, that's a pretty radical jump from, hey, I'm going to be in San Diego, and then all of a sudden I'm going to move to, I think it's Rockland, California. Is yeah, it was like Sac Sacramento is where we moved into. Yeah, uh, wife got a job up there, so, and I was looking for a switch at the time. So just uh, 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 look for opportunities to move up north, and yeah, found some, and we did well. So tell us about some of your roots in San Diego as far as uh, craft brewing. You started in 2010, I think is what your bio says. Yeah, that's right. 2010, I got hired at Carl Strauss uh, Brewing Company, one of the largest here in San Diego and, and actually the country. Uh, they're top 50 as far as volume, and they're the oldest since Prohibition uh, that opened up in San Diego. So uh, a lot of history with that company. Opened, uh, Got started in 2010 as a seller man, quickly moved up to become a brewer, and I was brewing 60 barrels at a time. So right now I'm brewing 10 barrels at a time. So bring your first job at 60 barrels at a time. Like you, you don't want to mess up because that's a lot of beer. So that's where I learned consistency and replica replicating uh, batch after batch and making sure the product is consistent because we did have core beers that needed to be exactly the same every time. And so did you have a lot of uh, home brewing experience prior to this? Uh, prior to that, it was about two and a half years of home brewing. Um, just making new wacky um didn't do a lot of classic styles i, I liked uh i liked adding things to it so that, i think that's where these uh pastry stouts kind of stemmed from was creating the stout adding uh other ingredients to it just building the flavor profiles uh, i would make the ipa add some like orange peel to it um never made any lagers as a home brewer but uh just kind of toyed with uh the whole brewing process and making sure that it was what I intended to do was what the final result was. Speaking of brewing process, uh, let's pop a beer. What do you have? What do you, what do you have to pour over? Oh yeah. Right here. All right. Yeah. It came from so that. So, so what, what is that? So what is so this? Is, this is our Hellas. It's, um, it's called Suhin, but, uh, it's, it's a German word for to search cause uh, it's a pretty cool story for it. And I have, so, uh, just be, I have another beer over here. I, I have one of our beers that we, so I do some home brewing. So I have my own nice, uh, nice. beer over here. It's a hazy IPA. 
Um, so you were saying that, so tell us a story about the, about the, yes, this Hellas. So it's the first beer that was brewed on our system. First beer to be released as part of the opening lineup at goal. Uh, this Hellas right here, um, the, the roots are, was from a trip in 2019, 2019 to Munich. And I wanted to find out what yeast I want to use for my lagers and went to every, uh, beer hall that I could go to and tried everybody's Hellas. And after going to, I don't know, about eight or so, uh, decided on Augustiner. So Augustiner uh, yeast is what we use for our uh, most of our lagers. And it's clean. It doesn't produce too much sulfur. Uh, you can actually put it in um, ales as well. So one of our IPAs right now, I repitched the yeast into that. It's nice and clean and really aromatic too. So it works well if, uh, um, if you wanted to continue the strain and uh, harvest it back into another beer, even being an IPA. Uh, but that was, that's why it's called a uh, German word to search, Suhing. And that's uh, my story with uh, that. So, and it's also my favorite lager style. So that's why I wanted to produce a Hellas first. Awesome. Thank you for joining us. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. Yeah, I got a lot of work to do on the on the home brewing front, but uh, it's fun. I, I it's fun to get addicted, uh, and that's what and yeah. that's why I'm a professional brewer now. You know, almost 20 years later, it's it was uh, I got addicted to it, and it was just fun to be creative and also scientific at the same time. And I think that's why I fell in love with it. And what kind of setup were you using when you when you were doing home brewing early on? Oh man, it was so it was not like what people have today. It was it was your bare bones. Like I was a poor college student, so it was a turkey fryer. It was a converted um, cooler, with uh, and the co converted cooler had the uh, instead of a false bottom, it was like the uh, the um, what was it the uh, dryer like or dryer drain or the drain for the hot water hookups for the uh, washers, and okay. then you take out the inner tube, and then you have like a mesh. Uh, tube right there so that was my false bottom uh, and then my fermenters I was uh, doing uh, carboys but I was temperature controlling so I had my own refrigerator with the controller and I was able to temperature control but uh, I think the big thing with homebrewing was jumping up from following recipes to creating my own and uh, playing around building my own um, water I mean that that was a big thing it was temperature control and then uh, doing water profiles. I think that was the biggest jumps uh, for home brewing for me. Well, talk a little bit more or more about the water profile. So you would take the, the your your I guess your tap water and you would have it analyzed to see what the components were. No, I, I would go to the, uh, the water vending machines like and uh, okay. just fill up uh, ten gallons of uh, RO water and then kind of build back from that. Uh, got really intrigued with having why different styles are in different parts of the regions because a lot of the water. Uh, the water profiles worked for that particular style. So uh, wanted to replicate that um, for whatever beer I was producing. And so for, for how much of an impact do you think that has with manipulating the water to the finished product? Would your, you think your average, your average consumer will, will, will be able to differentiate if you have something that's been uh, uh, had added chemicals to, to change a profile versus one that hasn't? I don't think they would know it's the water, but they would know something's off, whether it's uh, too flabby because there's, it doesn't have the acidity, the brightness, even though it's not sour, it still needs some brightness to it. So I think uh, when a beer is kind of flabby or kind of like just tastes more like watery, uh, I think that's, that's a water profile issue. 
or if it's a little too heavy with the minerals, it's a little bit undrinkable or not undrinkable, but not as drinkable or enjoyable uh, coming out fresh from the uh, uh, fermenters and the bright tanks. You mentioned uh, how the technology has changed for home brewing equipment. Mm-hmm. Do you think? Do you think that takes away from from understanding the process from using more of a bare minimum setup? Not at all. I think it's a, and still with the professional setup, it's not completely automated for the the level that I'm doing at, just as a ten barrel kind of pub system. So there's, it's really hands on. It's it's really manual, and I think that's what the even the nicer homebrew systems are having right now. I mean, yeah, they have pumps, they have temperature control, they have uh, a closed loop system with conical fermenters, and that's the upgrade that I'm talking about. We still have to put in the work. You still have to design the recipe and monitor temperatures and pHs and all that. So it's just the the the, the they're just miniature versions of kind of a pub setup, and I, I think that's great. Let's go back a little. Go back a little to more of the, the history of you coming up. So after Car- Carl Strauss, you went to Abnormal. Yeah, 2014. I was the opening head brewer for Abnormal Beer Company, and that's where I got to make my own recipes. And that's when I stopped homebrewing. So I actually was homebrewing throughout working through Carl Strauss, uh, being a a pro brewer during the week, and then on the weekend being an amateur brewer, uh, brewing at home. So t- 2014 quit that because I was able to make my recipes on um, on a professional scale and it kind of took off. So 2014 started, we started actually, we didn't open until 2015. And uh, by the time I left in 2017, we were the number one rated brewery on in San Diego on Rape Beer and Beer Advocate and also uh, Rape Beer's uh, top 100 brewery in the world. So that was probably the best accolade I still have to this day. But then immediately followed it up with uh, on rape beer as well, the sixth best new brewery, sixth best new brewery in the world for Moxa uh, in 2018. So uh, I guess uh, the momentum didn't stop when I moved up north. Yeah, and and come come with that a bunch of slew, slew of accolades and medals and uh, and everything you know, acknowledging and recognizing the work that you've been putting into these breweries, and now you have the opportunity to put it into uh, this new venture. Um, tell us a little bit about how Goal started. Uh, Goal started with, um, well, uh, uh, my business partner and I have been friends for a while, but then uh, during, say, about a year and a half ago, he mentioned he will quit his job and wants to start a brewery. So I immediately texted him and was like, hey, is this a possibility to bring me back down south? And uh, had a meeting, uh, sorted out some details, and it was a possibility. So about a year and a half later, I was able to move down and uh, get everything set up to start brewing a month after I moved down here in April. And so where did the name come from? Uh, it's, not, it's an acronym for get out and live, uh, which is during the pandemic, that's what a lot of people were doing because they couldn't go to establishments inside. Uh, the biggest uh, recreation um, hobby that people have is, is, just getting out and enjoying nature, going to hikes, visiting national parks, and just like outdoor recreation is a, is a huge market. So we wanted to kind of play to that. And it's not like we're, we're saying get out and live like a certain way. It's just kind of like getting out and enjoying, creating experiences and memories and stuff. So it could, that it's kind of a broad term, but we can take it any different way within beer and beyond. You know, it's just like you be, be you, right? Yeah, like yeah, the, the, exactly. Just enjoy, you know, get get out get out of your house and enjoy life. Uh, let's see. So you're you have an opening on Saturday. What type of beers are you going to have on tap for your opening day? So 
So we got this Hellas. I actually made my first seltzer because um, with being such a popular area here in North Park, uh, we're going to have a wide range of customers. So definitely providing uh, that lighter option for the people that are not beer drinkers or just want something super light during the day. But uh, as far as beer, we have this Hellas and then just a bunch of IPAs. So three uh, or two West Coast IPAs, three hazy IPAs, uh, all different varying in alcohol levels as well as hop varieties. And then moving forward in the next couple of weeks, we'll have, um, we'll have a, a Calamansi Mimosa Sour Ale. So that's the Calamansi uh, Lime and Chardonnay Grapes and a, a Kettle Sour. And then also a Stout, which will have Cacao and Vanilla. So we're, we're broadening the varieties, um, but wanted to get started uh, with uh, just a bunch of lighter, more drinkable beers that will um, be a lot more... Uh, like volume heavy for um, the sales. Yeah. Uh, any any chance we'll get a Goza soon? I don't know about Goza. Never made a Goza. Um, but uh, as far as uh, salt salt in beer, I really like pink Himalayan sea salt from Costco. Uh, we used to, I remember testing out fancy uh, salts and uh, some were too briny. Some were just like a little harsh, but I found that the Himalayan pink salt from Costco was the best stuff to use in, in beer. Uh, you mentioned stouts, uh, you know, and, and I, I see you want to, you know, it's summertime. I, I don't know. I'm in LA. It's like 92 degrees over here. So what, oh, what's, yeah. the, what's temperature in San Diego right now? Uh, I think today's topping out at 84. Uh, okay. So it's a little bit cooler. Um, okay. But yeah, it's stout season all year for me. Uh, that's uh, <laughs> that's kind of what I built my name on and um, doing the treated stouts, whether barrel age or non-barrel age, the pastry stouts actually contributed to uh, this year's addition to uh, dessert beers at the GABF competition. So now it's an official uh, category, nice. but unfortunately I can't enter it because it's, it's full. And then we just started selling beer to like a, as a soft opening. So I couldn't enter till now and it's already full. So unfortunately I can't enter the category I helped create next year, definitely entering it, but uh, we're definitely going to have uh, at least one or two stouts on on draft, uh, that's what uh, me and the team over at Moxa, we won uh, two GABF medals for Stout, uh, numerous um, Brewers Cup of California medals for Stout, um, and uh, just long lines because of that as well. So they're they're definitely what we're most known for as far as what gets out there in tra trades and travels uh, and what we pr try to present at festivals. So I'm going to continue it here just to got to start over that barrel program which will take a couple of years for that to uh see some finished product yeah and i was just going to ask about the the barrel program so primarily stouts are you looking at doing any barrel aged sours no no that that was never i never really tried that i'm not good at it or, or at least like i have no experience with it i really enjoy them but also the sales side of it they're they're uh they're kind of taking a dip as far as sales and you have to have a separate you want to keep them separate from the clean beer. So I'm just going to put all my eggs in one basket and just do clean beers. Um, I mainly do stouts, barley wines. I've also aged Belgian quads in there uh, and a variety of barrels. I really like uh, all types of whiskey, bourbon, rye, uh, wheat whiskey, um, but also cognac, apple brandy, and uh, wine barrels as well, red wine barrels. Yeah, we've been talking on the show lately about the kind of the decline of the traditional sour in favor of something that's more user-friendly, like a, like a heavily fruited Berliner Weiss. Yeah. Um, 
So, and I still, I still love the traditional sours. I still have some, uh, I still have some Russian river stuff, uh, you know, that I keep on hand uh, regularly, but you're right. You're right. That, that market has definitely shifted for, away from that traditional sour. I think, uh, you know, we talk about in order to survive, especially post uh, during COVID and post COVID that you have to diversify your offerings. You, ha- you have to be able to figure out what's the trend, what are people going to want and be able to deliver what people want in addition to doing something that you're proud of. So it's kind of that balance of figuring out what the market demand is going to look like and then and then try to anticipate matching that with with beer product. Yeah, exactly. So stouts are still there, but sours are um you got to be really good for the for it to sell well and uh, those are the ones that I uh like to frequently buy or the ones that they've been doing it so well and there's no reason why they shouldn't uh, still survive and be successful. So, but it's not for me. I'll let, I'll let that I'll leave that up to the um, the sour pros. Uh, I, I I'm with you with the uh, stouts being a 12 uh, month a year uh, offering. I was in uh, Arizona. I was in Arizona about a month ago in 115 degree weather, and I couldn't mm-hmm. find I couldn't find a stout on tap. And I was like, I can oh, I have no. a stout, and they're like, uh, nope, we don't we don't have yeah, that. It's like that would the just winter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you know, you I mean, there's something. And that, I mean, I guess we, there is a the move from that uh, that traditional stout or an imperial, even an imperial stout, to a more of a pastry stout, um, which mm-hmm. I don't mind. I don't mind that uh, either. But I, I think there is a place for that pastry stout during any time of year. I mean, that's what it's a dessert. You, you drink it, and it's sweet, and it's comforting, and it's thick. Yeah. And you know, I think that there's a place for that at any point in time uh, <laughs> during the year. It's not like you don't have desserts in the summer. You still have exactly. desserts in the summer. Exactly. So it's like it, whether it's in a solid form or liquid form, you know, people enjoy them throughout the year. So you think it's going to take a good year or two to get a barrel program established? Uh, my average has been about 20 months until okay. I feel comfortable releasing it. But uh, yeah. we te- I test them as early as 16 months, which is still a pretty long time. But haven't really had anything that less than that that tasted worthy of pulling out the barrel. I know there's once you hit that 16, 18th month mark, uh, it really starts to extract a lot of character, uh, like depth of flavor. And I think people kind of miss that mark because they take it out after a year, or they take it out over a certain amount of time and don't let the beer kind of develop. So really the secret is fill so many barrels that you forget about the older ones and you're not in too much of a rush to uh, uh, take them out. What's the longest you've had a beer sit in a barrel? Uh, say, I think it was 36 months, but, uh, as far as like a certain beer, actually I take that back. Cause there was a beer that we did, um, between three different barrels. So in one barrel to another, to another, and that was 50 months. So wow. over four years. And then we treated it with vanilla and, uh, sold it. And if you weren't there six hours before we opened, you didn't get a wristband to purchase two bottles. But well, this is at uh, Moxa or. Yeah, that was at Moxa. Yeah. We did that, uh, earlier this year. Uh, it was a triple barrel aged um, imperial stout that we uh, boiled for 28 hours, and then uh, it spent a total of 50 months in a combination of um, apple brandy, then rye whiskey, and then weeded bourbon. Wow! So, yeah. Tell me, so, so I'm hearing about this uh, Aberana barrel. If, yeah. What, actually, what, like what is that? So Aberana is a wood from Brazil. I actually like using the spirals because you don't really need a barrel. That stuff extracts really fast and really well. So it doesn't have a lot of tanning characteristics, but it has a lot of warming spices, cinnamon, vanilla, uh, nutmeg. 
And I, I like using spirals for that. So you can even use it as a home brewer and it only takes about four days at room temperature to infuse the, to extract the flavors. So it's a really, it's really nice when you add it with other complimentary um, dessert like ingredients. But yeah, I, I can't wait to use Ambrona again because that was just like a quick way to add a lot of flavor. And what kind of notes are we going to get from that? Is that just, uh, is that just, it's not a, it's not a, a barrel that had uh, like whiskey or bourbon in it. It's it just, it's usually just it's raw. just like raw, used raw and like slightly toasted, but yeah, cinnamon, vanilla, um, nutmeg, and uh, just like warming spices basically. So it's, it's just like a nice, um, nice, like spiced characteristic. So on Saturday, are, is are, is there going to be beer to go? Do you guys have cannings? You, have, you did some cannings yeah, or gonna, some stuff? We're going to save that till our grand opening, which uh, we'll, we'll announce when we have cans to go, crawlers available. But right now we just want to see what the crowd is, see what the demand is. So we know how much to put in cans and how much we can allocate to crawlers. But right now let's just see, uh, get through these first couple weeks, uh, hopefully huge crowds or big crowds. Um that are uh, going to be drinking a lot of pints of IPA and Hellas. <laughs> and uh, so you're, at, I, and you're going to have to help me out with this one because when I was doing the research, Brewery Igniter is the facility. Yeah, so it's it's three breweries under one roof, uh, three separate suites. We all have identical systems, and we're we're completely different businesses. But uh, the people that own the building installed those attack room and a brew house in each suite. So we we don't own the uh, equipment at all. It's, it's just a way for us to uh, buy into a turnkey brewery, decorate it how we want it and uh, be there for a few years and then get out or maybe renew the lease. But it's, it's a, we pay a premium for us not having to uh, own the equipment. So less startup costs and it really gets the brand started. No kidding. It's a, it's a, it sounds like a pretty good opportunity because you're right. You don't have that up upfront investment of purchasing all of the equipment uh, that you would need to run a brewery. You're, you're just leasing the space out ultimately. Yeah. Actually in uh, the one that the suite that we have, uh, June shine kombucha was the last one to use the brew house. And then another success story out of the igniter program is a uh, peer project, uh, oh, yeah. which is a uh, very popular, at least in California. Yeah. Uh, can we start seeing you at festivals pouring anytime soon? Yeah, or? yeah. First, first festival is going to be actually in Florida at Lumberjack Day. So uh, that's going to be in Fort Lauderdale. Um, or uh, D- Dania Beach is where it's going to be held. So that's going to be our first festival. But yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm looking forward to joining back to uh, the circuit is what yeah. like me and some friends like to call it. Where, uh, it's kind of like seeing um, the same friends from across the country, but in different parts of the country. Yeah, it's always, and I've been going more and more out to the festivals across the country. I just came from mm-hmm. uh, from Illinois for More Fest, yeah, and yeah. Uh, this weekend I'll be at the Vales uh, Summer Fest. Nice. And the breweries, the brewers, it's always a good time for them. They get along, they 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 talk, they t- you know they drink. It's it, it's a very it's it's a very communal experience to to watch it. Oh yeah, absolutely. So I look forward to it. Uh, I usually take um, a trip once a month to go out there and promote our products, maybe do some surrounding events, but we're not distributing really heavily at all. Uh, It's just going to be a few tap takeovers here and there, some beer dinners, but there's no consistent distribution just because we don't know what the demand is moving forward. Uh, So these events, we allocate for them. We go out there, we showcase our product. And then whenever people come back to San Diego, they know where to find us. Now, will you be pouring at Mosterland? Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I usually pour most I usually make their uh, actual official anniversary beer. So yes. I've been doing that since uh, their second anniversary, or actually every every anniversary that they had a, a beer, uh, I had my hand in. Yeah. So so when I met you at uh, where we're at that rare beer event for uh, for mm-hmm. the California Craft Beer Summit, uh, you had mentioned you're good friends with Mike, with Michael. Yeah. Kino. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so I know you interviewed him, and uh, we knew, we've known each other since 2006, before I was in beer, before he was in food or coffee, and we just kind of had similar interests and grew up together um, from that time, and uh, ended up working together um, down the road, um, both behind the scenes as, or uh, non-professionally as a home brewer and an amateur chef, and then uh, we ended up being hired at uh, Abnormal together, and he was wow. the opening executive chef there, and I was the opening head brewer. So I, I guess we can, it's automatically, we can anticipate there's going to be a collab between uh, between Goal and Mostra somewhere down the line? Oh, uh, it's more of a matter of how many. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, their coffee beans, um, uh, the first beer that was ever that they ever had their coffee in was actually my homebrew back in 2013 when they just started uh, roasting. So I threw that in my homebrew. Um, that was the first one. And then uh, when I was with Carl Strauss, we got it into uh, one of the casks for a cast night throughout all the restaurants. So that was their first professional beer that they had their coffee in. And then just kind of took off from there. Started uh, introducing himself and to other uh, breweries. And um, look at them now. They have hundreds of collaborations that their coffee are in. Yeah, it's insane. Uh, I think... We had a Wakefield beer with Mostra, Moxa, and I think Goal was actually on the, on the label as well. Yeah, then, yeah. Right? So my business partner Jason, he's the one who got us all together to make that beer. Yeah, I, I know. I know. When we had it at the time, we were reading the label because we we had it for the show, and we we're reading the label like Goal, Goal. What's uh, what, what's Goal? And so yeah. you know, it, you guys kind of had it under wraps, us, so you hadn't really kind of made that announcement yet. So. Uh, now we know what what goal was and who was involved with that. So, uh, it was, of course, it's a it, it was a it was one of those Wakefest exclusive beers. So it was a uh, highly touted and and we definitely enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what definitely. are so I, I imagine you're are you so you know I, it's a lot of stuff to do simultaneously, right? You're brewing, you're getting the word out, you're trying to do soft openings, you're trying to do grand openings, you're trying to figure out how much you need to to pour, if you're going to can, getting out and, and pouring at, at events. Uh, is collaborations with other breweries like on the top of the list? Or is that, hey, I need to get stuff going first before I can start thinking about doing some collabs with other breweries? Definitely getting started uh, with, just having an opening lineup and just being us, but then collaborations have always been a part of uh, my professional brewing career uh, as a head brewer. Uh, I've always enjoyed brewing with other people, talking about what we do differently, what we do similarly, and uh, making cool one-off beers for our customers to enjoy. So you've been drinking craft beer now for quite a number of years. What were some of the beers you were interested in drinking early on? So early on, it was really just kind of going down the, the grocery store line and trying a new one every time, uh, just trying different styles, trying different. So there wasn't uh, necessarily like one beer that had that aha moment. It was like, all right, I like this style. Okay, I like this style. Like, and, and what do I like about each styles? But what, you know, what was uh, what was available back then, um, you know, fifteen years ago was like kind of your, your, still like your red ales, blonde ales, uh, you had some lagers, you had uh, your Belgian beers were still uh, a 
people shelves. So I got introduced to a, a wide variety of styles and recreated some on the homebrew level. Uh, but really, there wasn't necessarily one that was like, oh, I like beer now. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Here's the, here's the, here's the question. What's in your fridge right now for beer? And be honest. Yeah. Because we don't have cans here. Um, usually that's what's in the fridge. But in addition to that, uh, right now I have some Modelo Pacifico High Life and uh, some uh, Cantillon. <laughs> Did you say High Life and Cantillon oh, yeah. in the yeah. same sentence? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> those, are, those are what I enjoy. Uh, Lime is probably my favorite style uh, to drink um, or just like to treat myself. Uh, but just if I want to kick back and not have anything too fancy. I mean, I'm going for those uh, Mexican lagers or, or a high life. And then uh, after a couple, then I'm craving some hops. So uh, I can't stray away from IPA too much. Uh, so with all the accolades in the beer industry, what are a few that you're most proud of? I would say the, uh, the 2017 um, top 100 brewery in the world. Uh, that That's definitely one of them. Uh, and then, the most recent one was um, the World Beer Cup. Uh, so we got silver for Hazy IPA, the second hardest category uh, in the competition. Uh, that's that, that's that's up there, right there. But really, it's it's kind of overall just like following just the, the the brands that I was able to be a part of and help build, and the also the uh, willingness and uh, opportunity to give back because I also teach, uh, I'm going to teach again at San Diego state, uh, marketing craft beer. And, and really that's just, uh, that's just a way to kind of, uh, pay it forward and teach the next generation of brewers or marketers or beer industry employees, uh, what I learned throughout the years. Yeah, and that's the next that's the next thing I was going to mention that yeah. you're actually you're an instructor too. With yeah, this. yeah. I mean, it's not it's not, you know, you're not just staying in the brew house brewing. You're you're trying to to share that knowledge that you have over the past uh of over the past years and trying to educate the next group of uh, of brewers out there. So how, how did that come about? Have you been I'm gonna have to call you Professor Derek or Professor yeah. Delanosa. That's uh, awesome. No. So they, they just had an open spot for, uh, they know I had a marketing degree and they're just asked if I was interested in uh, starting the class up again. And I was like, I never taught before. I don't have anything prepped. They, they didn't have any direction for me. So I created the class from scratch and I've been doing that since uh, 2017, both at San Diego State as well as UC Davis up north. Wow. And I take it that one's like an online course. Uh... Uh, we did a one in person and two online and then down here the San Diego State ones uh back in person. Okay. Oh, cause, oh so you were doing a class when you were up at Moxa for the yeah, uh, yeah. the Davis class. Yeah, UC Davis, yeah. Got it, got it, got it. Yeah. Uh but uh yes, yeah, so, I mean it's amazing that you're you're taking the whole you're doing this, you're doing that, doing a little bit of everything. Uh is there anything you can't do? <laughs> uh I mean I only have so much time on my hands. So <laughs> yeah, it's it's more of like uh I, I can do a lot of different things, but do I have time for them? You know, yeah. so I'm actually glad I don't have as many responsibilities as far as um, different responsibilities. So it's not a lot of, uh, I could focus on the beer. I could focus on brewing and really be precise in my process. Was it a coincidence that uh, we're starting uh, California Craft Beer Week in a couple of days uh, that, that you're opening during that time? 
Oh, that, oh yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah. So a new American Craft Beer Brewery is opening on Craft Beer Week. That's great. Yeah. yeah, I was like, is that planned that way, or was it just? Oh no, I mean, I think uh, we opened just as fast as we could. You know, uh, we had the space since December, so uh, we could not wait to to open up to the public. Uh, and and so we had the space since December. I moved down in April. Uh, got everything in order, built out the brewery, and then started brewing late May, I believe, late May, early June. Um, and once the beers are ready uh, and the tap room was designed, uh, we we're ready to go. So it was just more of a let's open up as, as soon as possible, start making money. That's awesome. Uh, I want to try this game. You're going to be the first, you're going to be the guinea pig for this all right, this, all right, uh, <laughs> this craft beer abbreviation game. I'm going to throw some acronyms or abbreviations toward you in 30 seconds. And let's see how many you can get right. right. I, 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 you seem pretty knowledgeable. So I'm, I think you're going to get uh, like at so. least 10, right. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to start, I'm gonna set, a, set a timer for 30 seconds. Here we go. Ready? All right. Yeah. L M E. Light malt extract. Close. <laughs> you're close. You're okay. close. I'm going to give you a half a point for that one. Okay. All right, all right. Uh, OG. Original Gravity. Uh, GABF. Great American Beer Festival. ABW. Alcohol by weight. BIAB. Brew in a bag. AA. Alpha Acid. BJCP. Beer Judge Certification Program. AHA. American Homebrewers Association. PSI. Uh, pounds per square inch. Okay, and then we went a little bit on time, but you got you got all of them except for the uh, the yeah, first one. Yeah, what was one. LME? Uh, liquid malt extract. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> more, it was more more to your home brewing side, which you haven't done in a yeah, while. Yeah, I, mean, I the used last to time, use that. <laughs> yeah, was the last time you used the malt extract at all? Right. Uh, I used it once on a professional level. Ended up being too sweet in the uh, final product. Oh yeah. Uh, but um, I used to use liquid malt extract as, uh, and that when I used it as a professional, that was like to boost it up, um, uh, just to maximize the or to boost up the gravity without boosting up the volume or making even more of a stuck mash. Uh, but I used to use liquid malt extract uh, back in, I guess, early homebrew days, maybe 2008, 2009, before I yeah. went all grain. Yeah, yeah so I, I should have started that you out with the tough one from uh, from the homebrew home days. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so uh, I, I only missed half a point. <laughs> Yeah, no, you got you got them all. That's that's what I would yeah. expect, especially someone who's teaching the the marketing beer beer uh, course. That's <laughs> awesome. Uh, so let me wrap this up because I know you got to go back and to work. Um, this has been Derek Galanosa. The opening is this Saturday, July twenty second at noon, um, in uh, in San Diego for Goal Brewing. Um, I'm gonna get out there as soon as I can. Uh, probably maybe in a couple of weeks just to check it out and maybe do a podcast awesome. from the location. Uh, congratulations on this new venture. Wish you the best of luck. I thank you so much for joining us today, Derek. Yeah. Thank you, Larry. It was a pleasure. Thank you.